When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. Talking about a huge issue here is investment in marginalized communities. They want to deconstruct this package and cherry pick what they like and what they don't like. China is surging forward with major investments. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jeannie Shanzano. Coming up on Sound On, we're going to talk about what the president had to say about the ransomware attack. We'll get into that as well as what he had to say about the lackluster jobs report. And we're going to hear a conversation our colleague David Weston had with Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. And earlier today, our colleague David Weston spoke to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm about President Biden's clean energy goals, as well as her reaction to the hacking this weekend of Colonial Pipeline. Here's sound on that. We know that there have been reports of this um, rogue cyber group out of Eastern Europe. Some have attributed it to Russia. We're still making sure to try to confirm that. We also know that um, so far the supply has not been impacted, supply of, of gas. But if it goes on too long, of course, that will change. Um, We know right now that we haven't seen um, big price spikes or anything as a result of this. And we know that the company is doing everything it can to look under the hood of its systems to make sure that they have been able to contain and that the cyber attack did not inject any malicious malware into the system. They believe that they will probably have Uh, make a substantial restoration, I'll say, by the end of this week. So hopefully this will be a short-term disruption that won't really impact um, the lives of everyday citizens, hopefully. But I will say, David, that it, it speaks to the broader issue, that this issue of cyber attacks on our critical infrastructure, especially energy infrastructure, is not going away. This is a serious um, example of what we're seeing across the board in many places. And it tells you that we need to invest in our systems, our, our transmission grid for electricity. We need to invest in cyber defense in these energy systems. The private sector has to step up to the plate. Many are, 
but there's uh, quite a few who are who have been slow to do so. And I think that these will serve as examples of why it's important to accelerate. I understand the Colonial now is saying they hope, they plan to have service restored perhaps by the end of this week. But pick up on your point, Madam Secretary, about where else we might have vulnerabilities. Even before we know exactly what happened, I know you as a leader, your first question is going to be, okay, who else do we have to look at to make sure we don't get hit somewhere else? When you really responded to this, what industries did you look to? What companies did you look to? Well, clearly the broad array of energy infrastructure. So we had this example of solar winds, which was an attack on the transmission grid. Um, fortunately, that didn't bring down the system, but it tells you how utterly vulnerable we are. We see, we're seeing all of these examples of ransomware attacks coming um, whether it's telecommunications or this critical infrastructure, to me, you know, obviously in my lane, I'm very worried about the in, the the energy infrastructure. We don't want to see people lose access to the means to travel, which is what the Colonial Pipeline is, or the means to be able to heat their homes or have energy for communicating for businesses or whatever. So we, this is why, you know, the president has put out this agenda of the American Jobs Plan. And one of the components of that is to invest in our transmission grid, to harden our transmission grid, to make it more resilient to these adverse energy impact, adverse weather impacts and climate impacts, but also to make sure that it's resilient from cyber attacks. So it's another reason why we've got to invest in these critical components of our infrastructure in order to be secure. So it's not lost on any of us that this does happen at the time the American Jobs Plan is right up there in Capitol Hill being proposed. Yeah. Help us understand what in the American Jobs Plan specifically might protect us against something like what is going on with, with uh, Colonial right now. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is a critical piece of this is a suggested investment in the transmission grid, for example. And that transmission grid, I mean, you saw how vulnerable it was in Texas from that um, wild weather event that happened, the storm in Texas. So that's one component. And we saw how vulnerable it was with respect to solar winds and the cyber attack. This component, this investment, which is part of the American Jobs Plan, will allow us to ensure that we can harden the grid from these, these kind of adverse events. And that's what's really important. It's one of the reasons, I mean, the president is meeting this week with members of Congress about, uh, about the American Jobs Plan. He's meeting with Republicans. He's meeting with Democrats. He's entertaining counter proposals. He's really serious about getting bipartisan support. And on the transmission grid, David, I think this is one area where even though it's not roads and bridges, it is infrastructure. And it's one of the areas that I think we'll see some bipartisan support on. Uh, so finally, the last one on Colonial specifically, what things are you at least considering, depending on how this plays out? Uh, you've already suspended some rules about trucking. What about the Jones Act? There's a lot of talk about that, shipping in with non-U.S. flagships. What about using uh, some of the petroleum reserves? As I understand, there is some refined petroleum reserves on the East Coast. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely petroleum reserves. And if it gets to that, certainly that'll be one thing to consider. You know, the Jones Act, as you say, will would allow non-U.S. ships to be able to import um, oil and gas. But I do, uh, I don't want to get ahead of things because we, right now, that would require a waiver. Uh, the Department of Transportation did issue a waiver yesterday that would allow longer-term uh, trucking, um, uh, the ability for truckers to be on the road longer to ship, uh, to transport gasoline. But, um, you know, we're, we're, there's a suite of things that you can consider to ratchet up depending on what happens, but we're not at that, at that point yet. We're hopeful that we'll be able to see this pipeline 
um, res restored by weekend. Madam Secretary, let's turn to the broader issue, that big agenda you had before this came up, which is yeah. the clean energy goals of the Biden administration. President Biden has certainly made this a top priority. Give us a sense of what is on the table in terms of getting it done. We've set some ambitious goals for ourselves to really eliminate, cut back and then eliminate greenhouse gas emissions. For example, carbon price. Uh, are we going to get a carbon price and when? Yeah, that has not been one of the president's proposals. Uh, what he has proposed is to put out goals and to help finance the means to get to those goals. So, for example, his goal is 100% clean electricity by 2035 and 100% uh, carbon-free, uh, not grid, but energy system by 2050. And what he's done through the American Jobs Plan is to help finance the technologies that would allow us to get here. So the Department of Energy has got 17 national labs working on these next generation technologies that will help to lower the price of those technologies. Like we just had an announced a new goal to lower again the cost of solar by 60 percent by 2030. The lower the cost, obviously, the greater uptake there will be. I mean, soon solar and wind, and in many places this is already true, are cheaper than any other form of energy. But one of the things that's preventing the solar and wind from being able to be deployed is capacity on the electric grid. So again, it gets back to making sure that we're able to expand that electric grids, grid so that solar and wind can get on. And just quickly, there's all these next generation technologies that the U.S. doesn't use that much. For example, ge geothermal. Well, that's established technology where you pull energy from the core of the earth. They use it in other countries uh, a lot, but we haven't in this country. So we at the Department of Energy put out grants to be able to ensure that we can have demonstration projects and deployment of that kind of technology. We're all about both development of the technology and deployment of that technology. Madam Secretary, the president and you have emphasized that this can generate jobs, far from losing jobs, could actually create jobs. At the sure. same time, do we need a border adjustment tax to make sure those jobs don't escape the United States as a practical matter? We talked with Secretary Kerry, who said that he thought that that may well be something that the president would consider. Yeah, I mean, the president is open to um, a whole array of things that will incentivize the job creation in the United States. That, uh, you know, as you know, there has there was also a global minimum tax that the president put on the table in terms of how to finance the American jobs plan. He is, you know, and members of Congress have put on the table a border adjustment tax. It's not what the president has put on yet, but it may be something that he would consider in his negotiations. He's very flexible. He just wants to see this once in a lifetime, once in a, at least two generations, maybe, investment in America because of our economic competitors. Our economic competitors are out there investing in these technologies and have for example, China has a strategic plan to corner the market on key technologies that are important for the globe's economic future, but certainly in the U.S. If China wants to corner the market on electric vehicles and the batteries for those vehicles, then we don't have the ability to build them, to put people to work in them, to make our, ourselves energy independent. So we've got to invest in our country, in our people, in our ability to have these energy technologies and not just stand by and watch our economic competitors eat us for lunch. That was Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm speaking earlier today and exclusively with Bloomberg's David Weston. And I am here with Rick Davis. And Rick, before I get you to respond to so many of the interesting things that they talked about in that conversation, we're just getting a headline that the FDA has authorized Pfizer and BioNTech 
COVID vaccine for ages 12 to 15. So, so that is big news um, that they have authorized that vaccine. So, Rick, uh, one of the things that struck me uh, earlier in their conversation was Secretary Granholm talking about how utterly vulnerable we are in our critical infrastructure to these kinds of attacks and the fact that so much of our critical infrastructure is controlled by private companies. Um, what, do, what did you take away from what they had to discuss? Well, I, I think it's a continuing theme of our uh, of our you know corporations that are uh, badly protected against cyber intrusion. I mean, it was only a few months ago that uh, the secretary was uh, talking about solar winds and the impact it had on the grid, and uh, and I think she said at the time that there would be a robust response from the Biden administration on solar wind. I think we're waiting for that robust response. Today, it sounds almost the same when you look at what's happened with Colonial Pipeline. Um, you know, we're going to find the perpetrators and we're going to give them a robust response. Uh, what's interesting is we it's not totally clear who the perpetrators are in this current iteration. So I think it's, it's one of these things that um, unless this administration does something different than any previous administration, it's it and, and actually puts together a robust uh, program at all levels of government uh, around cyber intrusion, uh, it's just going to be one more excuse after another. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, along with Bloomberg political contributor Rick Davis. And joining us on the phone is Max Burns, Democratic strategist and founder of Third Degree Strategies. And just as President Biden has been trying to get support for his massive infrastructure bill, he met today with Joe Manchin and he is meeting, has two more big meetings this week on infrastructure. But just as he has been engaged in that, as we just heard from our colleague David Weston's exclusive conversation with the energy secretary, the operator of the nation's largest fuel pipeline was hit by a cyber attack, underscoring just how vulnerable critical infrastructure in the United United States is. Earlier today, President Biden spoke about this from the East Room. He said he's been briefed on the Colonial Pipeline attack, and he said he is, quote, prepared to take additional steps depend depending on how quickly the company is able to bring its pipeline back to full operational capacity. President Biden also said there is no evidence that Russia was involved in the hack, but they do hold some responsibility. We have sound on that. 
And over the weekend, at my direction, the Department of Transportation issued an emergency order to loosen restrictions on truck drivers in order to allow more fuel to be transported by a tanker. We're prepared to take additional steps, depending on how quickly the company is able to bring its pipeline back to full operational capacity. And the president also went on to say, quote, so far there is no evidence from our intelligence people that Russia is involved, although there is evidence that the actor's ransomware is in Russia. They have some responsibility to deal with this. So, Rick, let me ask you, um, amongst one of the questions that, that David Weston uh, asked the secretary, energy secretary, was about what the administration should do at this point. He talked about suspending the Jones Act. They already extended truckers' hours, potentially using petroleum reserves. I think much of this depends on if, in fact, they are back online, as they said they might be later in this week. Maybe some of those measures might be taken. But you seem to indicate that they need to act a little bit more quickly than they have in the face of some of these attacks. Well, I I don't think it's so much uh, uh, trying to do triage on the transport system in the Northeast, or at least for half the country. Uh, I, I guess my point is, these cyber attacks continue unabated, from what I can tell, uh, and relatively unpunished, from from what I can tell. So I, I think it's more the focus. My view is on how do we stop cyber attacks uh, from crippling our infrastructure to begin with, rather than how much oil do we have to pump into the system to be sure that people can drive their cars. The good news is COVID has reduced uh, the need for transport fuels substantially. So I mean, you know, we we're actually in a very good mode right now. Uh, to deal with this from a resource point of view. But at some point in time, I think the federal government's roles and responsibilities in protecting U.S. businesses from intrusion through cyber attacks, ransomware, and, and other state and non-state sponsored actors is, is, has to go up to a higher level of priority. It, and Max, um, one of the things that I found interesting was we still don't know what Dark Side um, was uh, was requesting in terms of ransom. But I, I've heard people say there's, there seem to be some mixed messages. On the one hand, we've been told that nobody should pay uh, ransom. But it's unclear if that is still the advice coming out of the administration today. What did you make of that? Well, and we saw them take credit for that hack in a statement where they said, you know, the goal was just to make money. They never wanted to create a problem for society. And I imagine the FBI does not have so charitable a view of what they did. But it it is a fascinating thing in that it's finally starting to dawn on, I think, a lot of people in Washington who have separated technology and cyberspace from national security that you don't need to blow up a nuclear reactor to create a major national security crisis in this country. And much of that infrastructure that runs this country is woefully underprotected. It's such a good point because, you know, one of the things, the questions the president got had to do with the state of Russia or another state actor being involved. But of course, whether that's the case in this incident or not, we do, as you as you noted, remain vulnerable. So, Max, what can the administration do at this point to protect us from that vulnerability? We understand there'll be an executive order in a few days, but that hardly seems to be enough. Yeah, this is a long term Issue And I mean, people like Al Gore, as far back as as 2000, and not just on the Democratic side, you saw John McCain talking about how an always online infrastructure is always vulnerable decades ago. And presidents in the past of both parties have really underinvested in cybersecurity. 
Uh, Donald Trump's last budget slashed cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. And the first president who's really seriously put money behind this is Joe Biden. Uh, But this is not going to be a thing that we can build in a day. We are behind some other countries in the world in protecting our civil infrastructure. And we're playing catch up now at great risk to the American people. And I think that's the message I'm hearing for both you and Rick is the idea that we have underinvested in cybersecurity and also that Joe Biden is taking uh, more steps than his predecessors have and put some really smart people in charge of this. So it's going to be interesting to see both what his executive order looks like and what other steps the White House takes on this front. Because, of course, when you look at the number of attacks that are critical infrastructure alone of are under at this point, it is truly mind boggling. And the increase in cyber attacks in just the last nine months is truly astonishing. And I am joined with by Rick Davis and Max Burns, Democratic strategist and founder of Third Degree Strategies. Um, all weekend, you heard Republicans and Democrats debating about the jobs numbers we saw on Friday that were much lower than anybody expected by about 800,000. And you heard Republicans blaming the shortage on unemployment benefits while Democrats were pointing to things like child care and the chip shortage. And today, President Biden came out in the White House and spoke about this. He said that because of the American Rescue Plan, forecasters are projecting the U.S. in coming months will see the fastest growing uh, economic growth in nearly 40 years. The president said rolling out $350 billion in federal funding to state, local, and tribal governments. He also tried to downplay accusations that increased unemployment benefits are enabling workers to choose to stay home instead of working. We have sound on that. To anyone collecting unemployment who is offered a suitable job must take the job or lose their unemployment benefits. There are a few COVID-19 related exceptions, so the people aren't forced to choose between their basic safety and a paycheck. But otherwise, that's the law. So, Rick, um, one of the things the president also said today was he touted um, his uh, administration, saying that he has had more success creating jobs than any administration in the modern era in the first hundred days. How moved were you by his response to Republicans that the lackluster numbers were not a result of these unemployment benefits? Well, all I can tell is they they must feel like the Republican attacks are starting to sting because, um, you know, both the press secretary and the president brought it up today in separate uh, meetings with the reporters. Um, The president even sounded kind of defensive in the last SOT that you just or uh, the last uh, uh, broadcast that you just did, um, where he's talking about, hey, you know, uh, people have to take the job they're offered. Otherwise, they don't get the money. Uh, and uh, I, I thought that was kind of a almost an admission that the arguments uh, that uh, people are making uh, against his unemployment assistance uh, are, are maybe more accurate than he would have given it otherwise. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't think today was a great day in trying to move beyond this debate. Uh, and so I, I, I can't wait to see how the rest of the week goes because uh, they're, they're now sort of trapped into this discussion of these unemployment benefits, and they ought to be talking about uh, uh, this whole infrastructure plan to actually create new jobs. 
It's such a good point. And, and Max, um, what did you make of the White House's response? Because it was something I noticed all weekend. We heard Republicans making this case. These numbers were due to this unemployment benefit. Yeah, and it's clear from just the jobs reports and what we've seen of working people in this country that there's still a need for potentially another round of stimulus and that these sort of Chamber of Commerce-led discussions about ending supplemental unemployment are really premature. But the the report was not great. Uh, And the challenge for Joe Biden is that none of the reasons why it was not great are especially easy to fix. Uh, There's women who are still out of the workforce in large numbers. There's a majority of uh, American workers who say they don't feel safe taking a job where their their co-workers are not vaccinated. Uh, And there's a growing number of people who are suffering mental health impacts from this pandemic who would enter the workforce but are not able. And these are not things Joe Biden can wave a hand and fix. These are, are problems that require real thought and a serious approach. Yeah, Ben, uh, Max, I, I want to follow up on that because I, I think, you know, you're, you're making the point that I think has been lost in all this, which is nobody really knows how that report, uh, uh, what what drove the, the lackluster jobs report this time. And and the reality is there's plenty of stimulus in the system uh, to to get businesses to reopen and to start getting back to school and to start opening up those child care centers and to, and to, and to deal with some of these uh, fundamental issues that seem to keep people from being able to either take a new job or look for a new job. And, and, and don't you think at some point they just have to say, look, you can argue all you want. Um, This is law now and it's going to expire in September. And until then we're going to talk about other things that we think, you know, are priorities for our country, which is uh, fixing, you know, as we've been talking through this whole program, a a very broken infrastructure system. Yeah, I I agree. And I think, strangely, one of the reasons why the public has not hit Joe Biden harder on this, uh, as we see, it's a really media-driven story right now. We haven't seen a lot of engagement from people. It's because this economy is starting to reopen. Things are slowly beginning to return to normal. And that's taking a lot of people's focus off this jobs report. But in two or three months, when this comes up again, I mean, it's going to be front and center for people. But don't you think, Rick, it, to a certain extent that this argument could be turned um, another way, which is to say that if people are making more on unemployment than they are in minimum wage jobs, there's an argument Democrats can make and Republicans who support it for increasing the minimum wage yeah, I think for sure. But they've already fought that fight and they're not going to get it done even within their own party in the Democratic Party. So so like prosecuting an issue where there are limited facts available and, and it may only have a 30 day uh, line because if the jobs report next month is great, everyone will go, see, we didn't know what we were talking about, which in a mission in Washington it happens on a regular basis. And so I really think that uh, this is a, a loser issue. It's a good one for Republicans to bang around. They don't have much else to talk about. You know, they don't have their own jobs plan. They don't have their own, you know, recovery plan. So, you know, they like to take shots. And, and at some point, you just got to have the discipline to say, you know what, knock yourselves out. You want to make this argument, make it, but I'm moving on. Rick, and I know you said Republicans don't have much else to talk about, but I know something 
thing they can talk about, and that is the battle in the House for the leadership, uh, number three position in leadership. Um, this week, uh, we believe on Wednesday, there will be a vote to oust the number three uh, in leadership. That's Liz Cheney from her position. She's one of the most conservative members of the caucus, but also somebody who has been an outspoken critic of former President Donald Trump. She voted in favor of his second impeachment. She has repeatedly called out his claims that the election was stolen. She blames him for the January 6th insurrection. All of those things are taking attention away from what Republicans say they want to focus on, which is Joe Biden and taking back the House. I am Jeannie Shanzano, along with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Max Burns, Democratic strategist and founder of Third Degree Strategies, the perfect people to help walk us through what the heck is going on in the House leadership. Congresswoman Liz Cheney, she may pay a very steep price for her criticism of former President Trump as Republicans get to set to vote on whether the Wyoming representative should retain her leadership role in the party. Congressional Republicans are taking a harder line on the issue than some of their constituents, the overwhelming majority of whom seem to believe that Cheney and any other member of the party should be allowed to speak their mind without sanction. Some of these constituents see the congresswoman's situation as too harsh of a punishment, but former New Jersey governor and ABC contributor Chris Christie said on this week on ABC on Sunday that Cheney knew the deal she was making. We have sound on that. Liz is smart and tough, but I think Liz is doing what she wants to do. I don't think Liz wants to be in leadership anymore because once she won the vote earlier, she continued to press this issue publicly in a way that was antagonizing the people who were against her. Likewise, speaking on Fox News Sunday, Republican Jim Banks said that Liz Cheney is, quote, causing a distraction. We have sound on that. Republicans are almost completely unified in a single mission to oppose the radical, dangerous Biden agenda and win back the majority in the midterm election. So, Rick, as a Republican and somebody who's worked in these circles, um, what do you make of what is going on here? Is Liz Cheney making a smart decision if she hopes to run in 2024 to get out of this leadership position and sort of stake that lane of, of the party? Well, I don't I don't know what Congresswoman Cheney's ambitions are beyond this week, <laughs> surviving a vote on Wednesday, which may not be survivable. Uh, but uh, look, I mean, I think one of the things that's lost in all this is uh, she's reacting in her statements that are now being talked about by people like Chris Christie and Congressman Banks as as distractions. But but the the reason she's speaking out is because she's reacting to Donald Trump's comments. She's not gratuitously out throwing barbs at Donald Trump. She is reacting to when he goes out and says, I am the rightful president. It's crazy, right? And so, you know, you can leave crazy out there, you know, <laughs> let it bang around and maybe crazy becomes the truth, you know, with a lot of Republicans. Or you can say, hey, stop this. You know, we've got we've got to move on. We, we don't want this distraction. And this distraction takes us off message. Uh, it took us off message in the uh, runoff elections in Georgia with two United States senators who were Republican that turned into two United States senators that are Democrats and lost control of the Senate. So these are the kinds of distractions that have kept us from winning in the past. And I think Liz has basically taken the approach that we, we can't continue to coddle this. 
But the addiction to the Trump constituencies is so strong and the desire for leadership in the House is so imperative that um, she's a victim of that process. And, and it's it was interesting to me, a Washington Post article this weekend, which suggested that the GOP had not been discussing some polling data which shows Donald Trump down by 15 points in some of these battleground districts. So, Max, what do you make of what is going on? Obviously, you are not a Republican, but what do you make of what is going on? And do you buy into this argument that she is so much of a distraction that they can't address Biden unless she's out? I think it's willful misjudgment of a situation to look at the ecosystem that Republicans are in right now with Donald Trump still effectively calling the shots from Mar-a-Lago and to point at Liz Cheney and say that's what's causing this. Uh, It's a bit of treating the symptom instead of the problem itself. And it it moves so quickly that it's hard to tell who's a Jacobin and who's a counter-revolutionary day to day. We had Elise Stefanik come out to challenge Liz Cheney only to have the Club for Growth call her a liberal. And this is someone who has been cultivating her MAGA credentials for years. And it seems now to have fallen afoul of another faction that has emerged within the Republican Party. And I can just say, as a, as a Democrat, it's distracting to watch. I can't imagine what it must be like to try and operate a party with this going on. And, you know, it's it's fascinating because you talked, Max, um, I think rightly so, about treating the symptom. And on NBC's Meet the Press, Republican Larry Hogan, obviously from a much more moderate state, said the GOP's push to draw closer to Donald Trump isn't likely to broaden the tent of the party. He noted that Republicans had their worst four years ever after losing both chambers of Congress and the White House under Trump. We have sound on that. We have to be able to have a Republican Party that appeals to a broader group of people. And we have to get back to uh, having a bigger tent, as Reagan talked about. So, Rick, I remember well after the 08 election um, and then the uh, 12 the 12 election, Republicans saying they needed to broaden the tent if they were going to win back the White House. And of course, it seemed in 16 that Trump sort of uh, took exception to that argument. But where is the sort of the gap here in understanding amongst Republicans that you need voters and supporters to win? Well, I, it's interesting. I mean, you can look at it in reverse or, 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 or prospectively, but the, the reality is you, you need to make an ideological argument if you're a political party and say, this is what we stand for, and then let's go find the constituencies for that. Instead, the Republican Party seems to be involved in a reverse scenario where it's like, okay, there's this constituency that Donald Trump has. And as Larry Hogan says, it's uh, responsible for it, it's not enough to win elections. We've lost you know, both chambers of Congress and the White House with that constituency. But, boy, that's the one we want in the future. And so I, it's 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 baffling as someone who used to run campaigns. It's a matter of addition, not subtraction. It's not good enough to have a constituency uh, for the Republican Party that is good at losing elections. You want to be able to broaden that base. And this is what what Governor Hogan is pointing at. We went through this with Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush in the 1980s and early 90s as a party where we made a very conscious decision that while things were good, we had to 
uh, broaden the base of our party. Imagine now, while things aren't good, shouldn't we be trying to broaden the base of the party? I would think so. (laughs) Rick, I would think so. And, you know, I just want to turn the conversation a little bit, Max, because while we have the Republicans broiled in this uh, leadership battle this week, we also have the president holding these really critical infrastructure meetings. Um, today, he met with Joe Manchin and uh, Senator Tom Caper, uh, Carper rather, from uh, Delaware. He's going to be meeting for the first time with four, the four congressional leaders on Wednesday and then six Republican senators on Thursday, including Shelley Moore Capito and Roy Blunt. But while this is going on, we are hearing some grumblings from people like Bernie Sanders, who are saying that perhaps the White House signaling a willingness to negotiate with Republicans may cost them support amongst Democrats on the progressive side. So how do you view what's going on here? And can Biden hold the Democratic caucus together if he's reaching out to Republicans? I respect Bernie Sanders, and Bernie Sanders is out there right now doing his Bernie Sanders job of trying to push the party to the left and to push Joe Biden to the left, as he said he would do. But I just don't see the market for it in a place where nine in 10 Democrats, half of independents, 40 odd percent of Republicans have said that they support this infrastructure plan. If there was a big tide of saying, why are we sacrificing X, Y, or Z to compromise with Republicans? I think Bernie would have a point, but this is a broadly popular bill that introduces a lot of the things that uh, Bernie Sanders has proposed. So it, it is, I think what Bernie Sanders has to do, I don't think it's going to move a lot of, a lot of votes in the house or the Senate. Yeah, and I I think one of the things that's interesting about these Republican meetings, it's like the first time that President Biden and Leader McCarthy are actually going to have a conversation. Evidently, the the president has been returning his calls. Uh, I'm I'm sure it doesn't uh, uh, doesn't surprise McCarthy that the more he goes out there and says that the election was a fraud, uh, that the president who is duly elected isn't going to return his calls. But like this, it all comes together this week. Uh, uh, you've got uh, uh, this whole charade or activity going on in the House. And then you have Mitch McConnell out there saying, oh, you know, uh, I, I like, you know, Senator Capito's plan, looking at uh, infrastructure deal on a bipartisan basis at $600 million, but I'd go as high as $800 million. And so like this public debate on like what you can get on an infrastructure bill, this could be a really interesting meeting if they really want to cut a deal on infrastructure. And Rick, to your point, it is fascinating. This is the first face-to-face meeting, um, and I would love to be a fly on the wall. Rick, maybe you could get us a seat into the room, although I'm not sure. Um, But I think your point is well taken that we might get signs this week as to whether we could see a bipartisan agreement of some kind when it comes to infrastructure. And it's going to be curious to see if this jobs numbers and this cyber attack that we've been talking about contribute to that as all at all i want to thank so much um max and rick for a great conversation it has been a great time to talk about everything going on max burns democratic strategist and founder of third degree strategies and rick davis bloomberg politics contributor this is bloomberg
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.